0: Take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And before you know it, we'll be done with the book of Hebrews. I know it's hard to believe, but yes, we will finish this book. Unless, of course, the Lord comes again, and then we won't. But uh, we won't need to finish it then, will we? But the book of Hebrews is all about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you've been with us, you know that. Everything about the book of Hebrews points to Christ. How supreme he is, how sufficient he is. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince his audience, who are all Hebrews, to understand that you need to move from the Old Covenant to the New. All the past symbols and all the past uh, rituals that you have done have all been fulfilled in Christ. He, was, he is a supreme and sufficient king of the universe. To do that, you must, by faith, come to him. So in Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, he defines faith for us. He gives us a definition of faith. And then verses 3, all the way through chapter 12, verse number 3, he demonstrates faith to us. He defines it, then he demonstrates it through a, a, a whole bunch of Old Testament characters who walk by faith and not by sight. A whole bunch of individuals who knew what it meant to uh, believe wholeheartedly in all that God says And then behave accordingly to all that God says. And he culminates that with Jesus Christ our Lord in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3. That he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we are to consider him, consider his person, his passion, his position. And then he moves from the definition of faith to the demonstration of faith to the discipline of faith in verses 4 down through verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. Because he wants you to understand that as you roam through the race, there's much discipline that takes place. That discipline comes from the Lord. We told you it comes in one of three categories. Correctional discipline, preventional discipline, or instructional discipline. And no matter what it is, it's all for one purpose, and that's called conformational discipline. It all conforms us to the image of our God. And when you come to verse number 12, where we are today, in Hebrews chapter 12... Now you come to the determination of faith, the determination of faith. faith is determined to do something it 's determined to finish well that 's what faith does the christian life is you 've heard it many times it 's not a sprint it 's a marathon. You understand that it 's not how you start it 's how it 's how you finish and that 's particularly true in, in when it comes to those who make Professions of of faith, they, they jump on the Jesus bandwagon, but fall off the bandwagon because they're really not committed to the Christ anyway. And so he exhorts them to finish well. So he talks about the determination of faith. As he does, he's going to give four exhortations, four commands, four things that you need to do. Okay, one is to strengthen, the other is to straighten, the next is to seek, and the fourth is to see, okay? So we're going to look at those with you this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 12 says, therefore. Therefore what? Well, if you've gone through discipline, and you've gone through, whether it's correctional, whether it's uh, preventional or instructional, you know that it's going to end up well, because it says in verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because all that discipline that comes your way as a child of God, God is doing something great in your life. And because God is doing something great in your life, therefore now you're going to be involved in other people's lives. If you're going to finish the race well, there are certain things you're going to need to do. You're going to need to understand. So he says, therefore, based on what I've just said about faith, the definition of faith, the demonstration of faith, the discipline of faith, therefore, you need to be determined to live that faith with the people around you. So he says, therefore, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Notice it doesn't say strengthen your hands or your knees. It says strengthen the hands and the knees. Now it's true you should strengthen your own hands and knees. Why? He goes back to the race metaphor, doesn't he? He helps you understand that, that the Christian life is a race. And you know that when you get tired in a race, your, your, your arms begin to, to drop to your side and, and, your, and your knees become weaker and weaker. And so it's, it's, he's almost like a coach. You got you to keep the, the arms pumping. You got to keep the knees going. You got to keep Keep going forward. But you want to be able to strengthen the knees and or the hands and the knees that are feeble and weak. You have a great responsibility because there are people around you that are going to have a hard time. And this is all throughout the book of Hebrews. Sometimes we forget about it. Go back, with you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, he says this in verse number 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's incorporating your life with everybody else's life to encourage them. Then chapter 4, verse number 1, Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Then verse 11 of chapter 4, he says this. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Chapter 6, verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Then in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. That's verse number 23 without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so all throughout hebrews the writer of hebrews is trying to encourage his audience those in his audience who are believers right because you know that when he's talks to them as as holy brethren, they're believers, but he refers to them as brethren, they're Jewish people, not necessarily believers. And there were some that were on the fence, some that were teetering as to whether they should come all the way to Christianity, whether they should forgo the old covenant and embrace the new covenant. So he says, as you engage in this race, know this, that you need to strengthen. It's, It's where we get a word orthopedic. It means to to straighten up. And so he says, listen, you need to be involved in helping to straighten the lame and the weak. You need to be able to do something with those who are struggling. Coming alongside of them and helping them. Now, where did he get this from? Well, the book of Isaiah. Listen to this. Chapter 35, as Isaiah is prophesying about Israel's future, he says this, verse number one of chapter 35 of Isaiah, the wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Remember, as you read the book of Hebrews, he quotes voluminously from the Old Testament. He gets this from Isaiah chapter 35. The king is going to come. And because he's going to come, everything about the land is going to change. Everything about your life is going to change. But until that time, you need to make sure that you encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. He will save you. In other words, you need to be involved in helping those people who are weak and feeble. And you do that by helping them understand that the Lord is going to come. It is true that we are to strengthen our arms and hands and feet. Our bodies, when they grow weak. How do we do that? Well, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because as you examine his person. As you examine his passion. And his position. Exalted to glory. That's your future hope. But there are people all around you that need to be strengthened. And you need to engage in helping those who are exhausted, who are wearing out. And then he says this. He says, oh, by the way, Job did this. Job. I thought I'd share that with you this morning. It says of, of Job, in Job 4, verse number 3, Behold, this is Eliphaz speaking, You have admonished many. And you have strengthened weakened hands. Job was known for this. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Now, I'll tell you once again, Job is the greatest Old Testament character, the greatest character in the Scriptures. And this man engaged in strengthening the exhausted, helping those with weak and feeble knees, that he might move them on to maturity. That's what he was known for. No wonder he was the greatest man in the East. That's what his testimony was. God said he was the greatest man on the planet. And God's never said that about anybody else except Job. So therefore, he was involved in this kind of ministry. Listen, for us to finish well, having been disciplined by our Lord, having determined to follow the Lord, we want to make sure that we're dedicated enough to help those who are weak in their hands and feeble in their knees. So the right of Hebrews says, Therefore strengthen the hands of the weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now think about this for a minute. <clears throat> not only are you to strengthen the people around you, but you are to straighten the path before you. In other words, it's a word that means to smooth out. It's it's a word that, that deals with clearing a path. Because as you're running a race, you want to make sure that there's no obstacles in your way. And so you want to clear out all those obstacles, whatever they may be, the writer of Hebrews earlier on in Hebrews 12 said that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, <clears throat> that takes us off course. And so, <coughs> excuse me, those things that, that are weights are not sin necessarily, but they're things that weigh us down, things that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. So when you're running this race and you are making a straight path, you are smoothing out That path. Why? Because there's people behind you that are following. For the word for path is trochia, which means uh, uh, a path that's been laid because of the wheels of a chariot or the wheels of a cart. And that path is made so that other travelers will be able to follow in a smooth path. In other words, you are creating a path that is so smooth because you're clearing all the obstacles So that those who follow you won't engage in those obstacles, but have a clear path to follow you to Christ. So in other words, not only do I have a responsibility to finish well when it comes to strengthening the people that are around me, but straightening or smoothing the path that is before me. Why? Why? Because there's others that are following. And a lot of people that are following, as it was in the book of Hebrews, were people who weren't really committed to coming to Christ. Now, isn't that true that we are to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven? We are to live such a life that people are already able to see Christ in our lives. But I find it very interesting, as you read this text, it says... And make straight paths for your feet, right? This is for you, so that you clear a path, so that which is lame may not be put out of joint. In other words, it's a medical term, it means put out of joint permanently. Now, who are the lame? It's a good question. It could, be, it could be a weaker brother, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. Because again, he's going to quote from the Old Testament. He's going to take a word from the Old Testament that was used to describe the lame. And that's found in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. And you know the story well. It's Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Where he summons 450 prophets of Baal. He's going to challenge them. But the challenge is not so much for, for the, the prophets as it is for Israel. Because Israel is teetering on the fence. Israel is in no man's land. Are they going to follow Baal? Or are they going to follow the true and living God? What are they going to do? So God has called Elijah, that great prophet of Israel, to come and, and set out a challenge to the people of Israel. So when you come to verse number 21 of 1 Kings 18, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you? Here's your word, same word used, Hebrews 12, when translated by the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into English, it says this: How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, Follow him. How long will you be lame? Same word used. So the writer of Hebrews is picking up on Old Testament language to talk to people who are Israelites because Israel would know this, right? They're Hebrew people. We might not know it, we're Gentiles. But the the Hebrew people, they would know it. And they would recognize all the way back on Mount Carmel that Elijah posed this challenge to vacillating Israelites, non-committal Israelites, those who have yet to give their life to the Messiah and follow God wholeheartedly. They were teetering. Do I go after Baal? Do I meet my own needs? Do I follow the true and living God? What do I do? Elijah poses the challenge to them. Who will you serve? How long will you hesitate? How long will you remain lame? So the writer of Hebrews picks it up and says, listen, you need not only just to strengthen the people around you, but you need to smooth the path before you. Why? Because there are people that are following, that are hesitant. They have yet to make a decision to follow Christ. They have yet to get them all the way to follow Christ and to serve him. And you know about that. It's even in our church. There are people here that that are professing Christians but don't truly possess Christ as Lord and Savior. And they're teetering on the fence. Maybe they're people in your own family. And they they can speak a lot about Christ, but they really have not come all the way to Christianity by giving their life to him and submitting to his lordship. The right of Hebrews says, listen, you have a great responsibility. You want to finish the race well? You want to make sure that that you are being used by God in a magnificent way? You want to make sure you're you're like like Job was way back 4,000 years ago? He says, listen, you need to understand something. You need to strengthen the people around you and smooth the path that's before you. Why? Because people are in that path and they are following you and they need to be able to see Christ in you. And they need to be able to understand that you are committed to following Christ, serving him, honoring, living for him without any hesitation because you're sold out to following the Lord God of Israel. That's what he's concerned about. So he says, listen, make straight paths for your feet, so that that which is lame, that which is hesitant, That which is on the fence, as they were back in 1 Kings 18, may not be put out of joint permanently, but rather be healed. They might come all the way to the saving knowledge of Christ and be completely restored. And then he says this. Not only do you strengthen the people around you and smooth the path that's before you, but you need to seek peace and sanctification for without that those who follow you will not see the lord this is very very important the word pursue seek Dokio," which means to hunt it's a hunting term ever been hunting When you go hunting, you go to track down that which you want to obtain, right? If you go out and you don't track it down day one, you go out day two. Don't find it day two, you go out day three. But you hunt it down. You track it down. You want to capture it. He says, listen, you need to seek peace. This is not you seeking peace with God. You already have peace with God. And the unbeliever can't seek peace. Why? Because there is no peace for the wicked. The unbeliever doesn't seek peace. And the unbeliever doesn't seek sanctification. But the believer is to seek peace not with God. He has peace with God. He is to seek peace. He is to hunt for peace. He is to track down peace with all men. In other words, you're a peacemaker. That's what we are. We're peacemakers. We're not war makers. We're peacemakers. That's what we do. And we are to seek peace with all men. Not just some men, but all men, believer and unbeliever alike. He says, very simply, listen, seek peace and sanctification with which no one will see the Lord. Our lives are like billboards, right? Right? And sometimes the only, only Christ people will ever see is in and through your life and mind. And so we are to seek peace with all men. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 18, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Well, how do you do that? Well, never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay this, the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you seek peace? By overcoming evil with what? With good. Not seeking revenge. Because you're leaving that with God. God is the, is, is, is the God of vengeance, not you. But you, you, you are to be kind to your enemy. You are to give him a drink if he's thirsty and, and, and feed him if he's hungry. Because in so doing, you are showing kindness to him. You are seeking peace as much as it depends upon you. Pursue peace. Track down peace. Hunt peace with all men. And sanctification with which no one will see the Lord. In other words, our lives are to be holy lives, truthful lives, clean lives, so that we in no way put a stumbling block to somebody else who might not be able to follow our God as we follow him. Now, I know that salvation is ordained by God. I understand that. I know salvation, God calls people to himself. But on the the human side of things, we don't want to be the hindrance. We don't want to be the, the block that keeps people from seeing Christ. Or we don't want to be the block that people use as an excuse for not seeing Christ. We just erase the excuses by pursuing peace. Interesting, these two things are, 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 are alike in, in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart. They shall see God. That's sanctification. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. How do people know you're a son of God? You're a peacemaker. That's how they know. Blessed are peacemakers because they're called the sons of God. How do you become a peacemaker? Well, first of all, you have to love the maker of peace, right? You have to love the maker of peace. Who's that? God himself, the God of peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the God that bestows peace. And man is just, having I been mean, justified by, by faith, is at peace with God. So if you love the maker of peace, listen, you need to leave the menace to peace. What's the menace to peace? Selfishness, arrogance, pride. Listen to Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 25. It says this He That's proud in heart stirreth up strife. The arrogant man stirs up strife. Did you know that? Let me ask you a question. Is there strife in your home? Ask yourself, what causes that strife? The proud in heart stirreth up strife. The arrogant man, the selfish man. You see, you have to leave the menace to peace. And the minister to peace is an arrogant, prideful, selfish heart that wants things done my way. Think about the last time you had an argument with your wife or your husband. What was it over? A lot of it has to do with your own inner heart, your own inner spirit, wanting to get your way and do it in your timetable. Because you know what's best. And so there is that, that arrogance of our heart that causes strife in our family. Listen. You might not be the the one who causes strife, but whenever there's strife around you, you need to ask yourself the question, what's the common denominator to that strife? Is it me? Is it my selfish attitude? If I'm going to be a peacemaker, I have to leave behind arrogance. I have to leave behind selfishness. I have to leave behind a proud heart. I have to leave, leave behind those things that I want to do that I might fulfill the needs of somebody else as to what they want to do. That's being kind. That's overcoming evil with, with good. So if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I, I have to, to love the maker of peace. I have to leave behind the menace to peace, which is peace, which is my own selfish heart. And then I have to labor to make peace. Labor to make. I got to work at it. I got to work at it. Let me tell you something. Once a month's not working at it. Okay, you got to work at it. you, if, if, if you go, don't go hunting once a month. You got to. You don't eat once a month. You eat th- th- throughout the whole whole winter time. You go out hunting as often as you as it takes to track down that which you need to obtain. Well, here you're to, you're to obtain peace. You're to hunt it down, track it down until you get there. Do all you can to be a maker of peace, labor, work hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to make peace. But you have to work at it. And as Christians, we should never be the cause for strife in the life of an unbeliever. We should always be the cause that leads them closer to Christ. Because we want to make peace with them. We want to live in peace with them. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Are you pleasing the Lord? How do you do that? You become a peacemaker. Love the maker of peace. Leave behind the menace to peace. Labor to make peace. And then live as a messenger of peace. We are messengers of peace, right? And sometimes that message is all muddled because of our strife that we cause in relationships. And the right of Hebrews says, listen, there are people around you in your assembly that have yet to see the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. They haven't embraced the Christ yet. So you need to strengthen those who are weak and feeble. You can do that. You've been strengthened. You can strengthen them. At the same time, you can smooth out the path so that there are no obstacles in their way. And you don't want to be that obstacle because you want to live for Christ and honor Christ. So you want to make a smooth path for them to understand who Christ is. And then you want to seek peace, pursue peace, hunt it down, and sanctification, without which they will never see the Lord. And you want them to see the Lord. If you live an unholy life, they're not going to see the Lord, right? Because you want to present a God who is holy, 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 so you live a holy life. You don't live a a stressful life, an an, unpeaceful life. You want to live a peaceful life, striving to make peace with all men. And sanctification, because you want them to see the Lord. Lastly, verse 15. Once you strengthen the people around you, straighten the path before you seek peace and sanctification for those who follow you you want to see to it that you pastor those around you see to it is the word episcopal we get the word episcopos which is a bishop, an elder, an overseer a shepherd, a Pastor, do you know that you're supposed to be engaged in pastoring work? You think that's my job. Yeah, we pay you to be our pastor. Oh, no, no. You're the pastor. You're, you're, you're the episcopal. You're the one that's engaged in shepherding those around you. you. See, you can't get out of that responsibility. You are shepherds. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. See to it. In other words, he says, see to it that no one comes short or comes too late or is left out or who falls away from the grace of God. See to it. Those in your assembly, make sure they see the grace of God. Make sure they understand the grace of God. You're to shepherd those people. Do they really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they really committed to Christ? You want to make sure they are. Because if not, listen carefully, it says this. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Wow. A root of bitterness. Where do you get that from? Old Testament. Book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Moses says these words that there will not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God. Moses is concerned about people turning away from the Lord our God. Israelites turning away from the Lord our God. Remember, he's writing to Hebrews, so the Hebrew people know Old Testament. They know Deuteronomy 29. They understand this. They get it. He says this. To go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will be, not be among you a root-bearing poisonous fruit or wormwood, a root of bitterness. See that? They says this. It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast saying, I have peace though I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart in order to destroy the watered land and the dry. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will turn against that man and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant which are written in this book of the law. The writer of Hebrews gets all of his arguments from the Old Testament. So he makes it clear. See to it. This is your responsibility. You want to finish well? Shepherd the people around you. The people in your assembly. Be be the, 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 the bishop to them. Be the, the overseer of them. Make sure that nobody around you, no one in your family, no one in your church family falls short of the grace of God because if they do, if they fall away and if they're on the brink of making a decision and they don't make a decision because they might use you as an excuse, you don't want to be used that, as that excuse. They to have an excuse but it should never be you, Right? Because you're a peacemaker. You live a life of sanctification and holiness. But for those others, right, who are around you, who might fall short of the grace of God, you want to make sure that a root of bitterness doesn't spring up. Because if it does, it will defile many. Not just a few, but many. Those who... And when and, and, and he's taking this from Deuteronomy 29, God is telling the Israelites, listen, if you do this, if you develop a root of bitterness, the anger of the Lord will be so strong against you that he will bring all the curses upon you. God's strongest words are always reserved for those who know the truth because they've heard the truth, but yet do not commit themselves to that truth. God's strongest words are always reserved for them because they apostatize the faith. They fall away. That's why we've, we've gone through all these warnings in the book of Hebrews. And next week, we'll go through another one as we go through Hebrews chapter 12. But God gives these warnings. Make sure that you give your life to Christ so it's not impossible to renew you once again to repentance. That's Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6. Right? And so it's important that you realize that As another person in the assembly who loves the Lord, you have this great, incredible privilege and responsibility to shepherd those around you, to oversee them, to pastor them, to make sure they don't fall short of the grace of God, to make sure that a root of bitterness does not spring up in them because it will defile many. People who fall away from the faith, people who apostatize the faith, they defile so many people. In the process. Example of that. Esau. That's next. Who says. And that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. For he found no place for repentance. Though he sought for it with Tears. Remember Esau? Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. Esau was the rightful heir to the blessing because he was the firstborn. But Esau was willing to sell out his birthright for a, a bowl of stew. Remember that? You know the story, book of Genesis. And Jacob then would be the one who would inherit the blessing. Yes, Jacob I have chosen, the the Lord says. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. But why does God say that? Because Esau was a godless person. There was nothing Esau that wanted to, that moved him to want to inherit the blessing. What was the blessing? The blessing was the messianic line. That was the blessing. And Esau, Esau was the man in, in the book of Obadiah is about the destruction of the Edomites. The Edomites are descendants of Esau. Do you know that there is no group of people, no people group in all of Scripture that has more curses pronounced on it than the Edomites, the descendants of Esau? Did you know that? Why? Because the root of bitterness defiles many. And the Edomites were a defiled people. They were an immoral people, and the a godless people. Remember Esau? He was an immoral man. He married two Hittite women, two daughters of Canaan, which was against the law of God as God had spoken to Abraham and to Isaac, his father. But Esau didn't care. Because birthright didn't mean that much to him. Oh, he sought it with tears, right? He cried. That was a worldly sorrow, not a godly sorrow. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and following talk about a godly sorrow versus a worldly sorrow. Esau of the Old Testament is like Judas in the New Testament. Judas wept too. But it was a worldly sorrow, not a godly sorrow. And Esau was rejected by the Lord. And when the Bible says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, it simply is a reference to the fact that Esau is representative of all the godless people who reject their Messiah and will not follow him because they love the things of the world more than they love the things of God. Esau chose meat over the Messiah, Esau chose temporal over eternal. Esau chose physical over the spiritual. That's why God hates Esau. Because God is against all those who are against him. And Esau represents that. And so we had this great responsibility. We had this great responsibility to make sure that we we strengthen the people around us. That we smooth the path that's before us that we seek peace and purity with those who follow after us and we see to it that we pastor, shepherd, oversee everybody in our church, in our family and ask them, do you know the Lord? Have you given your life to God? Have you come all the way to Christianity? Are you sincere about your walk with the Lord? That's a great question. Why? Because we don't want any root of bitterness springing up in you because you come short of the grace of God and fall away and remain out of joint. Why? Because there's an example in Scripture of a man named Esau who chose the world over what God had to offer. And a root of bitterness leads you to that. You want to finish well? You finish well by determining to do what God has called you to do as you run the race for the glory of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for a chance to look into the word and be challenged. I'm challenged. Father, it's not enough to be challenged. We've got to be changed. We need a purpose in our hearts to do the right thing. I pray for everyone in the room. I pray that we be peacemakers. That, Lord, we would love you, the maker of peace. We leave behind that that one menace of peace, our arrogant pride and selfishness. Labor to make peace. and Then live as a messenger of peace. Because people need to be at peace with God. And, Father, we realize that there's even some, even in our own assembly, might not have given their life to Christ, have not bowed the knee to you as king, may we be faithful shepherds, overseers, imploring them, encouraging them, coming alongside and strengthening the weak and the feeble, that we might minister to them in a very special way, that we might finish well the race that is before us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.